0: Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single
1: focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have.
0: Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts, Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank.
2: Welcome to Mountain Meister, this is Russell. Hey everyone, welcome, this is Ben. Today on the show we have Phil Powers. Phil joined the American Alpine Club as Executive Director in May 2005. His previous experience in the nonprofit world includes service as Vice President for Institutional Advancement at Naropa University and 17 years with the National Outdoor Leadership School, or as some of our listeners might know it, Knowles, as Chief Mountaineering Instructor and Development and Partnerships Director. Phil has led dozens of expeditions to South America, Alaska, and Pakistan's Karakoram range, including a sense of K2 and Gashabrum II without supplemental oxygen. He continues to be an active climber and skier, lives with his wife and children in Denver, Colorado. Phil, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Russell. Thank you, Ben.
0: Yeah, welcome, Phil. And for any of our listeners who aren't familiar with the American Alpine Club, it's a nonprofit, Uh, Unite a group of competent climbers and support healthy climbing landscapes phil some of our listeners may not climb and some of them may even be members of the american alpine club uh, but some of them may be interested in getting involved can you just give us a a quick spiel on what the american alpine club offers to its members
1: well we you know members pay their dues and we aggregate that money to to do things together that we otherwise couldn't do for one another for example uh, the club's able to provide rescue benefits that will bring you back to safety, no matter where you are in the world. We offer a, a little bit of a rescue reimbursement policy for domestic costs associated with rescue. We produce the world's leading mountaineering publication, the American Alpine Journal, and that's a benefit of membership, as is the publication Accidents in North American Mountaineering. and. Perhaps the best and most recent addition to our benefits package is an extraordinary array of discounts at, at companies like Patagonia and Outdoor Research and, and Mountain Smith. So, you know, there's great return on your investment as a member, great value in the membership. But I think maybe more importantly, we do a lot of great work for climbers in the public policy and advocacy space, convening conversations about important topics for climbers, And really advocating for what climbers need in the the world. And maybe just finally, I should add, we have a a really wonderful array of lodging opportunities. I'm here in the Tetons at the Grand Teton Climbers Ranch. We have a, a campground in the New River Gorge. We're opening a campground in the Gunks. And we've got a great new hostel in Waco Tanks, Texas.
2: Because it is so inexpensive for everything that you get. You have all these little additional benefits, but just the, if you're ever going anywhere, the rescue benefits, uh, it's up to $10,000, I think 5000 domestically, and then an additional 5000 international travel.
1: Global Rescue, for American Alpine Club members, we have a rescue benefit, which is that no matter where in the world you are, if you fall and get hurt, we will get you to the nearest hospital. Uh, we'll make sure that that happens, and we'll pay the first $5,000 of the bill, if there's a bill. Often in the United States, there's not a bill, uh, and I think that that's the way it should remain, because we don't want people scared to call for rescue because they are afraid they can't afford it. Yeah. Um, but we'll pay the first $5,000 of the bill. You can also buy up to a more premium service if you're going to be traveling you know, in the remote parts of the world, like certain parts of Asia Uh, and then we also have in addition to that a domestic rescue reimbursement program so if there are costs associated with rescue that aren't covered by your health insurance or other methods we can reimburse you for those costs
2: Well, that alone, I think to me is worth the, uh, I think it's $80 for adults for the yearly membership, but check
0: that out on our website. Yeah, absolutely. Over 10,000 members now, at least this is the most recent data that I found, 10 million in assets, which you obviously distribute through the programs, like you've said, development. And you have seen some really impressive growth lately, Phil. What do you attribute that to?
1: You know, I think, and and the number currently is about fourteen thousand five hundred members. Wow. Okay.
0: Uh,
1: and that and that number has gone up about seventy percent over the last three years. Wow. So
0: that's because you joined as executive director, right? <laughs> no, I
1: think I think really it's because we asked ourselves several years ago, what does it take for the American Alpine Club, our nation's organization for climbers to be relevant to climbers today and we sort of turned the organization upside down and hired regional staff across the country because climbing is a very very local thing you know we're a national organization but climbers climbers live in their hometowns they climb at their local crags they go to their local gyms and we needed to make sure that we could be relevant in those local communities so we we hired staff to support our huge network of volunteers across the country, and we developed grants programs that allowed people to identify the problems in their, in their local regions and solve them, whether that's using our Corner, Cornerstone Grant Program to solve conservation problems, or our Live Your Dream Grant Program to you know, help young people take the next steps in their climbing careers. So we've really tried to become a more locally delivered organization, and that makes us more relevant in people's lives, and I think that's been the real driver of growth for the organization.
0: Interesting.
2: Yeah, and they have a a great headquarters, too, in Golden, Colorado. I was lucky enough to be able to check it out this year. They have a brand new museum with tons of history, and just the whole community in general of the American Alpine Club is So much more than most clubs have to offer, and the history that they have and the passion of the members is really interesting. If you're ever in Golden, you should definitely stop by. I'm sure you could get a tour. They also have one of the biggest libraries of uh, all the different books. Uh, I found one of my dad's old 1991 Everest Expedition videos there that he didn't even know was around. He's like, oh, someone (laughs) must have stole that from me, but... That was pretty great. Um, So we want to talk more about climbing and we want to talk more about what the American Alpine Club is doing. But before that, we want to talk a little bit about you. You're a very proficient climber, mountaineer. And back in 2011, you actually had this crazy accident happen to you. Would you mind telling the listeners a little bit about what happened that day?
1: Yeah. And I think it's a reminder that fundamentals for all of us are very important. As you said, I've I've been climbing for many, many years. I wrote a textbook about climbing. I'm a certified mountain guide. So, you know, one would not imagine me as the victim of uh, a very basic accident, but that's exactly what happened. Through miscommunication with my climbing partner, I was taken off belay at the top of a very basic sport climb only minutes from my office. Mm -hmm. And when I leaned back on the rope, expecting to be held by my belayer, I I was untethered completely and fell 75 feet to the ground. That resulted in four breaks in my spinal cord, you know, a dozen, more than a dozen broken ribs, a shattered arm, and because of the impact, my diaphragm split and basically all my organs below my diaphragm ended up in my left lung. So. <laughs> You know, I was in bad shape, um, and it was all because of a basic miscommunication. So instead of, you know, just checking your knot and your belay and your helmet before you leave the ground, you you really need to also be clear about whether you're going to be lowered or going to repel, and I think that that's become, you know, a new possible source of accident in our world when we've got... Lots of new climbers coming to the sport with perhaps little experience out of doors and a diversity of climbing partners, young climbers, new climbers, old climbers and so this communication issue is ever more important and you know with with more and more climbers going outside, uh, that educational process is is more important than ever. Just to finish my story, I ended up in the hospital, you know. Global Rescue, the organization that provides rescue services for American Alpine Club members was right there with me. Not only do they help with rescue but they consult with Johns Hopkins University on second opinions on medical care so you know they were on the phone with my wife making sure that the diagnoses and the operations that were going on were all just the right thing and of course they were. And then you know, they told me I'd be in the hospital for months and months because by being in the bed for, say, three or four weeks recovering, I'd lose the ability to walk and, you know, have to go through rehab. But, you know, luckily for me, the hospital staff and my family were very supportive. And, and that very first day when I finally woke up from my sort of drugged stupor, I, I asked if I could get up and walk to try and stave off that atrophy. And I took a step or two that day and uh, walked around the ICU a little bit the next day. And on day 15, I walked out and got in the car and we drove home.
0: Wow, quite the recovery. I just want to go back to the moments when the fall actually happened because I want our listeners to understand that this wasn't some problem that developed over a few minutes. This was everything was completely normal for you five seconds before the fall and accidents can happen just like that. I'm going to try snapping into the microphone, see if it works. Does that scare you now when you're climbing to know that accidents can happen literally just like that?
1: Well, that's not new information, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, anytime you're playing in the vertical world, whether it's an accident like the one I described, or uh, a medical emergency like, uh, you know, on the streets would be fine because you'd fall to the ground and you'd You'd recover, and, and that would be the end of that. If you're in the vertical space, falling to the ground is a big deal. So, you know, that's not new information that accidents can happen in, in the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. And it just goes to teach us all how important these very, very fundamental skills are, like an appropriate belay, like checking each other's knots, like communicating about how you're going to handle the end of the pitch or the end of the climb, These are all moments where a little deviation from practice, you know, can have a huge repercussion. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned the growing sport of climbing and a lot of that growth we've seen and I've heard has come from indoor climbing and a lot of new gyms popping up and then the challenges of transitioning those indoor climbers to outdoor climbers. As the American Alpine Club executive director, what do you see as the biggest challenges for you guys handling this extra growth?
1: Yeah, I mean, the extra growth is coming from all directions. And certainly there are thousands of people learning to climb in the gyms. And then eventually some of those want to go outside and experience climbing outside. Others are coming straight to climbing outside for the first time. Um, but climbing's become a much more popular thing in the in recent years. And you know when we surveyed our membership and uh, climbers who weren't members last summer, safety and competency ranked very, very high on the list of concerns that our members thought we faced as a community. And we've identified that in our role as advocates for safe climbing and competent climbing and for, being as thorough and safe a community as we can be we've come to believe that we need to play a role helping that initial climber learn the very basic skills that they need to learn even at the most basic level like what we call single-pitch sport climbing sport climbing indicates climbing where the anchors are prefixed it's not terribly advanced in terms of the anchor building and safety systems But even in that most basic realm, mistakes can be made because you're in the vertical world. So we're developing a program called Know the Ropes to help climbers across the nation get consistent training in belay techniques, in signals that they use to communicate with one another, in how we get lowered off climbs, and in how we repel off climbs. So getting into education and helping other educational institutions like the gyms, like the guide services, like the climbing wall association members become consistent in this category is new for us, but it's extremely important in the climbing world today.
0: So how do you go about delivering that on a consistent basis all across the world? I mean, you said the American Alpine Club is really focused on being more, I guess, geographically focused. Are you going to gyms around the world? How do you deliver this?
1: Well, the program's not built yet but the the unique opportunity that we can bring to the table is that as America's federation to the international world of climbing we can make sure that the training we endorse is consistent with the International Union of Alpine clubs and the training that you might get in France or Germany so I think what we can bring to the table is the consistency and so we are not going to reinvent the the infrastructure of climbing education in America we're just gonna try and influence it so that the current infrastructure the training that's going on in the gyms the training that's being taught at the regional clubs the training for example that's even being taught through the Boy Scouts or the YMCA's in America can be brought into a a consistent fundamental curriculum so that everyone's learning effectively the same Signal systems, the same belay techniques. So we'll use the infrastructures that are all already there, but what we can do is influence those curricula so that they're all effectively the same at the most basic level. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. How difficult is this challenge to really standardize things throughout a whole country?
1: I think it's difficult, but you know, when I spoke to the Climbing Wall Association in May uh, to a group of gym owners who are already teaching this effectively but not necessarily consistently the response was we want this we want you to deliver to us a consistent curriculum because we think it's important and there's no other body uh... out there right now who's willing to kind of step into this space and provide this consistency the american mountain guides association has done a great job with this in 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 the category of guide training but that's a much more elaborate version of consistent education and what we need to do is to step into this more volunteer driven often amateur teaching space to provide this consistency it's a big challenge we've gotten a lot of financial support to to get it started most notably from sterling ropes but I think I think we can meet this challenge
0: From a high level, when I hear about how you're delivering this, it sounds like it requires resources on your end. And from a member perspective, maybe I wouldn't want to see a dollar, one of my, or part of my dollar going towards something that's not necessarily supporting me, or is it supporting me?
1: Well, I think it is supporting you, the Mm -hmm. member. Uh, I think a safe climbing community, I think safety in the climbing world helps us with our access issues to the public lands. It helps us with how we're perceived by the general population. It helps us in in almost every way. But let me be clear, you know, the American Alpine Club is supported by the dues dollars of its members, but it's also supported by the philanthropic dollars of its donors. Mm-hmm. And a program like this is almost fully supported by the giving of organizations like Sterling Rope, of individual donors, and of many many others.
0: Yeah I think I saw in an annual report that something like less than 30 percent of your revenues are actually from membership dues. Do I have that right? Which speaks to how much donation there is and how much support there is from that end.
1: Yeah it varies a little bit from year to year but I would say generally speaking about two-fifths of our annual revenues are dues Mm -hmm. about two-fifths of our annual revenues are donations and a little bit of endowment income, mm-hmm. and then the remainder is earned income through our online store or our lodging facilities.
2: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, this is an interesting conversation. I want to back up a little bit, just because I mean you have a super busy job. You're the executive director for one of the biggest Alpine clubs in the world almost. But you also have been to K2. You've uh, made successful ascents there. You've gone to Gashabrum 2 which is also in the top. Uh, it's an 8,000 meter peak, which there are only 14 of those. It just seems like you have so many things on your plate. Do you see future adventures for you in the outdoors uh, more than just kind of local climbing?
1: Well, I had a really fun career climbing around the world on 8,000 meter peaks, like you mentioned, or big rock walls like Pillar Rock in, in Pakistan, or big alpine walls like the Washburn Face on Denali, or honestly, in in a slightly more fun category, just doing a lot of rock climbing. And I still do a lot of rock climbing. I don't see for myself big international climbing adventures on the horizon. I've got four great kids. I've got a a busy job, as you say. I also own Jackson Hole Mountain Guides up in the Tetons. So I've got plenty to do and 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 plenty of ways to have fun skiing and climbing around Colorado. So uh, I think that the big expedition days are, are behind me, but the rock climbing days sure aren't.
0: So I have, a, I guess, a question a little bit related to that, which I think will apply to a lot of listeners' lives, including Russell and mine. And you know, we've noticed that when you do have to balance a lot of different things, there's an opportunity cost involved. You know, every minute that Russell and I aren't spending on this podcast that's being devoted to something else, you almost feel get this feeling of guilt. How do you balance your time and make sure that everything is appropriately getting the attention it needs?
1: You know, um, I think a lot of people try to manage their life to arrange for A thoughtful balance between home life and avocation and work. Um, For me, that's all a very integrated thing. Mm -hmm. My friends are also people that are involved with the club. My family like to get out climbing and skiing. So you could argue I'm always working. Mm -hmm. I would argue I'm always having fun. (laughs) So I, I don't feel like it takes that much attention for me to To get everything done and also live a healthy life that includes my family. So it feels very integrated to me.
2: Yeah. Do you think that this sort of lifestyle was just lucky that you came across it, or as a child, was it pretty much brought upon you?
1: No, I mean, I came from, I grew up in Oklahoma. My parents weren't particularly outdoorsy people. I started climbing by being introduced to it through my school at the age of 14, and I, I wouldn't say a very avid climber at those young, in those younger years, but I pursued it along with high school sports and college sports and things like that. So, you know, it, I, I did fall in love with the mountains and climbing, and I pursued a career with the National Outdoor Leadership School, and that really provided a, a way for me to continue being a very, very active climber, both teaching it and, and then doing it on my own. And then uh, I did end up working for Naropa University for a number of years and was pretty much out of the climbing space and then was lucky enough to be able to apply for and get this job with the American Alpine Club. And I think I'm the right guy for the job, but it's very interesting. You you go through a a hiring process and sometimes you don't get the job that you think you're perfect for, and yet it, it worked in my favor this time.
2: Yeah, we did this interview so far kind of backwards, the way that we usually do it. (laughs) Usually, we get to know the person first, and then we, we talk about stories. But the reason that I brought all these things up is you know, if you haven't tried going into the mountains, if maybe your outdoor sport is in other areas, it's definitely something you should try. And just to hear the types of passionate people, I was at the American Alpine Club benefit dinner this past year everyone's friends and the community is so great and I mean there's drama in any big groups of people but usually it's it's about really cool or awesome things before we move on uh, for our outdoorsy listeners if they're rock climbers if they're not maybe they want to try to get into it is there any product or brand you would recommend that they maybe they're even a sponsor of the American Alpine Club that you would recommend them looking into
0: more
1: well I think Partly because they're sponsors, but partly because they're, they're simply great brands. I end up being most familiar with organizations, products like Patagonia, who's been a longtime supporter of the American Alpine Club, or Adidas, who's coming on as a major partner right now. I use Black Diamond climbing gear and Wild Country climbing gear and Sterling Ropes. So, you know, I don't know that I'd pick out a, uh, one product as better than the other. But those are some great brands that are also supporters of the club. And, you know, honestly, climbing gear is really well made these days. It's beautiful, it's high quality, and it's safe.
0: And fashionable.
1: Very <laughs> <laughs> flat. You is look, that.
0: yeah, you look cool when you just carry a bunch of gear around with you. But uh, to, to wrap this up, uh, Phil, let's talk to the listeners who who maybe want to get into rock climbing, but they're not exactly sure where to start. And we talked about how this needs to be done in a really responsible way. Can you give them a few steps that they should take um, to responsibly integrate themselves into the sport of rock climbing?
1: You know, I think the most basic, important premise here is that you need to gain some level of competency for whatever you're going to do in the vertical world, whether it's hiking up a mountain like mount washington in your neck of the woods or climbing colorado's fourteen or going rock climbing in a gym for the first time or going rock climbing outside for the first time i think the most important thing to remember is that it's essential that you get quality training and you can get quality training from a friend who really can be your mentor and that's the way climbers over the decades have been trained but more and more Uh, formal training is available. Formal training in the gyms, formal training from guide services, formal training from the regional clubs like the Mazamas or the Mountaineers or the Colorado Mountain Club. I think spending a little money and certainly spending a little time getting some education in something that's so potentially dangerous as entering the vertical world is essential.
2: Yeah, and this is a truly genuine recommendation for our listeners, too, because Phil has actually uh, been an author for two very interesting mountaineering books that he could have said, well, you really need to read this book and this (laughs) book. And buy it
0: (laughs) and and become a member.
2: I'm sure I've always heard that it's good to really jump right in. Just try something before you start reading all this stuff and just see if it's for you. And then once you get that first taste, then go back do your research. Check out some of Phil's books, too. They're, they're very great if you're just going out in the mountains. And is it uh, Wilderness Mountaineering and Climbing? Is that the one that really takes someone who's more of an indoor climber and then helps them know what's going on in the outdoors?
1: Wilderness Mountaineering, you know, sure, I recommend buying my books. <laughs> but Wilderness Mountaineering is aimed at a climber who wants to travel in the wilderness get out there, you know, well away from the trailhead and effectively be self-sufficient. So Wilderness Mountaineering talks a lot about what one needs to know to be completely self-sufficient with one's partner in the deep mountains. Self-rescue, all the rope systems one needs, and honestly also all the philosophies that are necessary uh, for people to enter the, the deep wilderness with the right mindset towards self-sufficiency. Because even with communication tools as advanced as they are today, uh, getting rescued from the deep wilderness is not always a a given.
0: Phil, thank you so much for joining us today. For our listeners, the Meister fans, we'll have all the resources that we discussed today on our website, mtnmeister.com, including the books that Phil has written. And then you can also find out more about the American Alpine Club at AmericanAlpineClub.org. Phil, it's been great having you.
1: Thanks for asking me to join you today.
0: Meister fans, I have some great news. This is the last week where Russell will be gone on his vacation. He'll be back next week for all of the episodes. I'm looking forward to it, I'm sure you are too. Today is also the last day where you can have a chance to win a free tub of Acclimate. Just send us a picture of where you listen to Mountain Meister. Whether it's on your walk to work, or you're walking the dog, or you're walking around at the gym, just send us a picture of where you listen to Mountain Meister and I will pick my personal favorite. Join us next time and we welcome Emily Jackson. Emily is a professional freestyle kayaker and does some incredible things on a kayak, including winning a competition when she was nine months pregnant. We're gonna ask her what she was thinking and how she did it next time. Join us
1: then.